0: Welcome to Talking Legal History. This is your host, Siobhan Barco. Joseph E. David is a visiting professor, adjunct of law, at Yale Law School, and a visiting professor at the Program in Judaic Studies at Yale University. He is an associate professor of law at Sapir Academic College in Israel. His research focuses on law and religion, legal history, comparative law, and jurisprudence. Professor David, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here.
0: Early in your work, you discussed the turning point in Karait law, where the centenary doctrine of incest laws was refuted and rejected. What made this pivot so intriguing to you?
1: In fact, I came across this legal reform which took place in the 11th century while I was working on different subjects. Initially, I worked on legal theory in early and middle middle ages, and I came across this reform, and I always thought it's a subject that I should pay more attention to it and Then, all of a sudden i I found a manuscript, the Oxford Bodleian Library, which was an unstudied manuscript related to that reform, and it was just the right moment to start digging and diving into the material and to try to decipher what was the reform on, what motivated the reform, what were the arguments on the reform. And the more I studied it, I realized that it is an abandoned subject. It's actually something that I cannot even explain up to now days because you could find only one scholarly work on this reform which was written in the mid-20th century. But other than that, you know, this reform was well-known and well-documented in the tradition, but it was not studied by modern scholars. And there are various excuses for that, you know. Some of the manuscripts were inaccessible in the St. Petersburg Library until uh, the early 90s. Also, people are not so happy to deal with incest laws, and you know, there are so many calculations in it. Anyhow... It was also fascinating because as a legal theorist and a legal historian, I felt that this is just an amazing test case for either theories about legal reform, but also to explain what motivates people to make this change. So in and, and this reform, I must also mention that I tend to actually to title it as a radical legal reform or radical legal change because compared to other legal changes, it was not executed by authorities. So the immediate comparison is to the Fourth Lateran Council, and mainly Canon 50, which was decided about reducing the seven degrees of prohibited relatives for marriage. But this case was not executed by any authority. It was executed by scholars in academies, And they actually had to use their argumentative capacities to convince for this reform. So it was much more interesting in that respect, but also in the respect that it was radical because it was not only responding to some social economic needs. It was much more radical claim that we understood the law wrongly. So it was about also blaming the teachers, their traditional predecessors, that they understood the law wrongly. So I was very attracted to this case, and I was trying to figure out what was it about. And one of the motives for this reform was that they actually embraced different understanding what kinship is about. So they actually brought up totally different understanding about what is that makes individuals relatives and since they comprehended and they all supported this understanding they also had to change their legal practice so I, I thought it's a very exciting case i couldn't resist to deal with it it was too complicated it was also interesting and exciting to deal with manuscripts that were not studied ever before but then again i think i learned a lot from trying to understand a very practical, huge endeavor to make a legal change. So um, it was really, I think, a very unique opportunity. I wish to every scholar to meet such a case. Usually we we work so much to find interesting cases, but this was just something that waited for me a little bit.
0: Could you tell us a bit about your methodology of joining legal history and legal theory?
1: As many legal theorists, I realized that the contemporary legal theories are not sufficient to explain non-Western or pre-modern legal systems and legal practices and legal traditions. So I always felt that the fact that the most sophisticated legal theories of the late 20th century were only applicable to modern status legal systems, which were mainly Western, democratic, and liberal, it's something that restricts our way of thinking about legal theory at large. I did follow the steps of some pioneering scholars like William Twinning, Werner Minsky, uh, Patrick Glenn, uh, Chiba, and others, who felt that we need to broaden our way of theorizing the law to include also non-Western legal systems and pre modern legal systems. In that sense, I think that not only that we acknowledge that the law is contextual, but also, therefore, the theory of the law should be contextual and related to concrete context. So, you know, the title of the series in which the book appears, The Law in Context, in that respect, not only a slogan from my perspective, but An insistence that we should understand the law and also the reflections of the law, theory of the law, in a much broader sense. So, for me, doing legal theory could not be a project that transcends any cultural context or so. It's something that should take into account broadly the context, the historical context, the cultural context in which this law and its theory are applicable.
0: How does your work help us better understand the broad concept of belonging? And why is law a helpful place to look to understand belonging?
1: Well, first about law and belonging. I think that the law is an alternative to other formations or other patterns of belonging. If we think about the law in any manifestation of it, you know in early ancient times where law was understood as as an order or as a command, it was also something about designating some sort of belonging. So law, in many respects is an attempt to combine belonging with power or the monopoly on violence with belonging. So think about jurisdiction, which is something which I treat in one of the chapters of the book. Jurisdiction is about creating a form of belonging which alternates other forms of belonging, like family, tribe, community of faith, or something like that. Modern law, for example, claims that belonging is... Impersonal and it's something that is articulated through a territory space rather than blood ties also. So every appearance of law to my sense is also a way to claim something about belonging, about ties between individuals, which also alters other optional ways to understand belonging. That's why I think law Is interesting because in every historical context, I think it's interesting to see not only how the law is executed and how the law manipulates violence or apply order, but also in what ways the concrete law that is suggested is alternating other forms of belonging. By the way, talking about jurisdiction, I think nowadays, when we have the cyberspace rather than state territory, it also, I think, encourages or invites us to think about a new era or, or new textures of inter belonging, which transcends territory, which transcends nationality, which transcends ethnic feelings. So in every case when we find an interesting dimension of the law, I'm intrigued to also look about what does it take and what does it change or modify about this sense of belonging that we used to have or we used to depart from. So in every case, I believe law is also about belonging. Could you go into a few of
0: the more specific examples in your book? That
1: contend with the theme of belonging. Okay, so other than kinship, which is quite trivial to think about belonging in terms of kinship and jurisdiction, as I mentioned, but also I also picked about belonging to the low as a theological theme. Theological theme, which which was brought up early in the first century when the distinction between early Christians and Jews, for some were understood by the idea of who belongs to the law and who departs from the law. This dichotomy between grace and law as a matter of identity was embraced also in early days of the Reform Movement, and it was also observed into the Jewish mind in modern times where they understood their identity vis-à-vis Christian identity as they belong the idea of the law, legalism as at all. So sometimes belonging itself is not only something that describes our situation, but also our conscious and the way we also map our identities and ideological differences. Another issue which I picked also in some chapters is how the political belonging is in many ways imitating familial belonging, expanding familial ties to the public sphere, but in also, in other ways, also trying to alternate or to make the familial ties redundant to the political life. So I was looking not only on the basic forms of belonging, but also about the dynamic of the ideas of belonging and how the interplay between different locations of belonging is part of the cultural structure at
0: large. How does your work illustrate the elusiveness of belonging as a concept? Well,
1: first of all, our belonging appears on various levels. On the very domestic level, on the political level, even on the universal level, cosmopolitics. But I think Most interesting is the fact that belonging is not explicitly manifested in the constructions that we create and maintain. I think that belonging is such a basic need, which explains why we seek belonging in every level and every format, but it's not something that we put on the surface in many cases, so explicitly. So I would say that this is existing and the hidden topic that exists on every level that we are creating our social construction, social framework. More than that, I think that there is also some denial that belonging is the issue. When we talk about human rights, for example, when we celebrate human dignity, in many ways we deny that belonging is at stake, and what really matters to human beings is their belonging. So I think you know, modern um, enlightened ideas of the law is about transcending belonging and a transcending identity. Creating a law which is impersonal, which treats human beings as human beings, regardless of their origins, regardless of their characters, regardless of their needs, but nevertheless, I think would really encourage us a different sense of belonging which we don't express explicitly. And then you see belonging comes from the back door, with the issues of immigration, with the issues of asylum rights and so on and so so, I would say that belonging is an unofficial concern of our legal matters. Sometimes it's more official, sometimes it's much less official, but it is there in every and each formations of a legal system and legal codes and legal, legal, code, legal structures and so on. How
0: does your work help us contend with the concept of belonging in the present?
1: Well, I wouldn't try to answer that question in general. I could only answer for myself. I could only answer for myself in what sense this work helped me to grapple with contemporary concerns and troubling issues. And I think that the first and foremost lesson that I learned is to think about belonging and identity as separate issues separate concept and separate concern. Now, we try to blur the differences between them, and I'm not sure it's about blurring. Sometimes it's only a confusion. When we talk about uh, identity politics and we confuse it with the politics of belonging, I think we miss something. I think identity and belonging uh, are totally different concerns. They are emerging on different backdrops and different backgrounds. They respond to different Needs, so this lesson takes me to think anew about not only the sense of belonging in contemporary days, but also about the concerns with identity now. So for example, once we identified identity and belonging as the same thing, I think we were not concerned about the other aspect of identity that threatens or challenge our existence, for example, nowadays with the emerging technological achievements, with the more knowledge that we have about identity. Identity is something that has to do with privacy, something that has to do with the information about us, which is external to our inner self, which is gathered and it is controlled by third parties. Our sense of identity nowadays is also changed due to our understanding about genetics better than beforehand, about other objective or factual matters that relate to our identity. My sense is that identity is a modern concern which has to do with subjectivity and the true inner self which should be expressed and should be allowed to be expressed and acknowledged. So, at large, I would say that first I would distinct between belonging and identity as different concerns, and I would think anew about how the concerns about belonging and identity are treated politically. I think that we should work some more how to overcome the paralyzing politics of identities, that we experienced in the past two decades.
0: I really want to thank you for being on the show today.
1: Well, I thank you. Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. Absolutely.